Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Legal One podcast. My name is David Nash. I'm the director of the Legal One program. In this episode, we are addressing student substance use, understanding best practices, current trends, and strategies for working with parents. As a reminder, we have also developed a companion episode on addressing student substance use that reviews the legal framework related to addressing substance use for students. While substance use by students has been an ongoing issue, the enactment of this recent legislation has clearly added a new dynamic to this issue and certainly made it more complicated for schools to make sure that we're properly addressing student needs. Navigating student substance use in light of the recent cannabis legislation will change some aspects of how school districts operate, certainly how school districts interact with law enforcement, while other aspects of what we do will remain constant. As part of this podcast, we want to help you understand that change, understand some of the legal requirements and best practices related to addressing students who are struggling with substance use issues. I have with me a great panel of presenters. I have Diane Litterer. Diane is the executive director of the New Jersey Prevention Network and has been a leader at the state and national levels in addressing issues of student substance use. Um, and certainly the New Jersey Prevention Network has been a wonderful partner with us at Legal One in trying to help school leaders address these issues. So thank you, Diane, as always, for being with us. Thank you for having me. We also have with us today two guests from New Jersey PTA, and we're very excited to have those two guests. We have Kathy Lindenbaum, who, as we are recording uh, this podcast, is just completing her term as president of New Jersey PTA. And we also have Rob Achera, who's director of member and board services for New Jersey PTA. So Kathy, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having us. And Rob, thank you as well for uh, your great contributions. We'd love to be here, Ben. So I would like to start off with you, Diane, as we think about this. You know, you have been such a great leader in the state on helping um, school officials think through how do we support students who are struggling with substance use issues. Talk a little bit about some of the trends that you're seeing related to student substance use and perhaps how the pandemic has impacted that use. You know, a, a lot has stayed the same and consistent. You know, each of the, you know, substances, alcohol, marijuana, kind of ebb and flow. Matt, we see marijuana as the conversations have been across the country about marijuana legalization. 
that changes kids' perception of the risks associated with it. So we've been seeing those rates going up. Vaping hit us hard. Uh, we had kind of held, you know, reduced tobacco, traditional tobacco use. Um, and then the vaping products started being commercialized and promoted um, within our youth. And that rate has significantly continued to go up. We were finally kind of getting that a little bit lower. In regards to the pandemic, what's interesting is we're seeing a significant reduction in vaping use among teens. And studies have shown that that is directly correlated to access where they have not been able to access their products, which highlights the challenge we have approaching uh, with marijuana, because as marijuana becomes uh, cannabis legalized for adult use, that availability is going to be increased, both for adults as well as for youth. So, you know, the pandemic had sort of that being a positive impact, but then the negative impact is really the stress and increased adverse childhood experiences and um, limits to access to supportive services that our teens have realized in this sort of lockdown situation. So those elements, I think, are yet to be seen of what that impact is going to be because we know sort of that mental health issues and different things that kids are experiencing often translates into substance use, early first use. So it's, it's kind of a mixed bag of all of those things, but certainly a priority for all of us to not only um, work with people to understand the risks associated with early use of substances among our youth, but also making sure we're providing wraparound supportive services for those that um, are starting to use. So one of the things that um, I think we should take heart from uh, is the notion that we did make tremendous progress um, on student tobacco use, um, even though cigarettes were legal for adults. And we have made progress over time on student alcohol use, even though alcohol was legal for adults. So we do have some strategies, some approaches that have worked, um, even when there um, are complicated messaging pieces. Do you want to just comment on that a little bit? Sure. And, and I think one of the misunderstandings of prevention is that it's really just about telling kids, you know, don't use these substances. But in both of the circumstances and the substances that you make reference to, both our tobacco, public health approach, as well as alcohol, it's really a combination of things and many different layers. So part of it is changing kids' perception of risk of understanding that even though it's a legal substance for those over 21, you know, these are all the reasons why both um, youth with a developing brain and how it negatively affects them more than adults, but there is still risk associated with the use. But it also is sort of changing systems and creating restrictions within access points, point of sale work, working in the communities to make it so that it's illegal for someone to sell underage, keeping it as an adult problem where it's the adults that are in trouble for selling for those underage and sort of lots of components to that. It's not as simple as the quick statement that I just made. Um, there's a lot of levels to that. 
Also, the normalization of the products is a challenge. We work with, um, and our concern with marijuana uh, is the commercialization of these products and sort of the ongoing promotional, this is a wonderful product kind of messaging that comes out and really working to reduce those messages that hit it right on to youth. You know, as going back to the example of vaping, a lot of the early marketing that was done, the flavors that were promoted made it very much, you know, youth positive. Um, and so we had to, we being public health, broad public health, had to really re respond very strongly to those tactics by the, the industry to stop that from happening. And again, as an example, really going after Juul, who was one of the industry um, leaders that were really pushing youth sort of engagement. And when that switched and those restrictions were able to be put into place, that's where a lot of the reduction of that product in particular was reduced. So we do have those examples of successes. And oh, my frustration is that we didn't look at those elements of the successes that we've had and sort of overlaid that with the new laws that are being passed um, with uh, cannabis regulations. So we're, I'm still hopeful that that will still be a consideration, but that's a kind of a challenge that we have in public health. And of course, um, with the pandemic and so many students uh, being away from school physically, Many school districts have rethought their uh, very heavy reliance on suspension as a consequence for, for students who are engaged in substance use. Can you comment on some of the best practices that school districts should consider in addressing students who are found to have engaged in substance use and perhaps moving away from the over-reliance on suspension? One really, I think the most, um, the simplest, one of the simplest responses, and, and we've worked really hard in, in the work we've done uh, with Legal One, is educating schools on sort of changing the philosophy at, of at-home suspension to make it in-school suspension, and, and more importantly, use that time in a productive manner. Um, we actually were able to bring forth to New Jersey Aspire, which is a program, uh, interactive educational program that's available to New Jersey students as it relates to the risks associated with vaping. So we've encouraged schools to use that uh, intervention as an opportunity to educate. And I would encourage schools to do more of that. Um, there is many different alternative programs based on skill building, knowledge-based to use that sort of suspension opportunity, that early intervention opportunity as an educational response. So um, I think also student assistance programs, making sure that schools, whether you know, there's a requirement to have someone in that position, but there isn't always a full-time person dedicated with the knowledge of substance use disorders and sort of all of the different prevention and intervention opportunities that schools have and just really investing in that component so you know it's a it's not a, a simple response you know there's not a problem and then an equal response to every student so having somebody on on staff in the schools that really understand the complexity 
a substance use disorder and how to respond in an appropriate way is really ideal. And the third one that I would mention is ESPERT, whether it's officially ESPERT, but ESPERT stands for Screening, Brief Intervention, and Treatment Referrals. I think that it's important not so much that, you know, of course, and you mentioned early in this conversation about the requirements when a student is found to be under the influence, but the, the ESPERT model really addresses all students so that it's a screening mechanism to have a conversation and an interaction with all students about the potential risk and what they may be experimenting with and other issues and, and earlier on make those positive referrals to education and supportive services. Um, so to have that system in place, so, so often when we work with someone later on that already has a substance use disorder, often they say, if someone just asked me early on, you know, what support I needed or what problems I was having, you know, I would have answered, you know, because I was looking for help, but I just didn't know where. So we need to provide more opportunities for caring adults to be asking our kids, like, what can we do? You know, where are you at? How can we help support you? so that we're creating that safety net a little bit higher than waiting to down the road where the kid is showing up under the influence. You know, there are earlier signs uh, that we can identify to provide supportive services to our kids. Those are such great points, Diane, and the importance of being proactive um, and making that upfront investment, it makes an important difference over time. Um, in reducing student substance use and getting to some of the underlying issues that are leading to that substance use. So with that, let me turn to our two New Jersey PTA representatives. And Kathy, I'll begin with you. Um, can you uh, share some thoughts on how schools and parents can work together to better identify and address the needs of students who are struggling with substance use, including students who may be turning to substance use to cope with stress and trauma that so many of us have experienced during the pandemic? Yep, we know students have been hit very hard during the pandemic. And, you know, parents are themselves, a lot of them, you know, have a lot of issues because of the pandemic. So the one thing that I can say, I, I wanna go back on what Diane was saying, you know, having that information out there, preventative, you know, letting students know, um, you know, where they could go for help. Because sometimes, you know, um, you know, obviously there are students who will ask for help, but most of the time we've seen that, you know, they kind of just flounder a little bit for whatever reasons that they don't go for help because they don't know where to go for help. So I think a lot of times, you know, there's that trusting adult or even just, you know, um, generalization of, you know, if this is happening, go here. And of course, you know, for parents, if there are signs of it, then they could also like let the student know, you know, if you don't want to talk to me, please go to an adult or here's a place where you could reach out for help. And we know sometimes that you don't see signs also. There are some students that are still getting great grades that still look like they're overachievers, but down inside that, you know, they're reaching out for for help and if they know where to go for it, I think that that's, um, you know, the biggest um, thing that we can do. 
So Rob Bachera, let me ask you to comment on that too. It, it does take a leap of faith sometimes for a parent to come forward and go to a school official and say, I think my child is struggling. Um, how do we build that bond of trust and, and get the parents um, and schools to that point where they are working together? I think it's definitely twofold on my part. I think if the schools are creating an environment where in times where it may be an issue with a, a teacher, it may be an issue with a grade, it may be an issue with switching a class or an activity. If the school district and the school itself have made it easy and welcoming for the parents to come in and discuss things with guidance counselor, administrator, student assistance counselor, um, whatever the school may have, um, I think it would be a lot easier in the long run if then that parent would uh, feel comfortable to go in and talk to those same people that they've created relationships with saying, you know, my child, I feel like my child may have an issue in such and such, such and such um, that they did in the past. Now it's bringing it to the next level that, you know, as Kathy said, and as everyone has said, we've had a year that is different than anything we have ever had, being a parent, being a teacher, being a student in um, a school is was completely different than it's ever been before. And um, there were a lot of stress factors and a lot of trauma that could happen. And now as we move into a new school year and as Governor Murphy has said that everyone um, is going back to school, there, this will continue and may continue. And you know, over this summer, um, as people are starting to transition, it's gonna be vital that the schools and the parents alike partner together to make sure that the well-being of each and every one of our students across the state um, is that our top priority that, you know, we know that a lot of people may think, okay, we're going back to school full time, it's time to go back into 100% um, academic, that can't be the case, just like we saw when students were going back to school all throughout this year, um, at various times, there has to be some time when we're talking about um, emotional well being, social emotional learning, um, and ensure that that is part of everything that we do, regardless if it's preschool students or students, um, you know, going into their senior year of high school. So uh, let me ask you, Rob, to continue a little bit. We're dealing with the aftermath of the approval of the constitutional amendment um, regarding cannabis use by adults and the legislation that was put into place. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how, um, from your point of view, parents are thinking of marijuana use in light of its legalization for adults? I think this is obviously definitely interesting question that many people have thought about. And I think because the time we're in and the time that, you know, as we're on the tail, hopefully, of COVID-19, that a lot of people really didn't grasp it and really didn't see it. And with, you know, some students either uh, completely virtual still or hybrid, not being in school full day, having to go home right after school because they had to log in to classes, you know, after lunchtime, it really didn't put us in a place yet where I feel, I don't want to say the education part of it, but the know-how, I think, of students that may now come up as we go back to school full time will happen. So I do feel that parents, especially this summer, um, need to educate themselves and, you know, watch this, uh, listen to this podcast and learn from the professionals that have been out there and from the other states that have done this to see what can now happen. Because 
the legalization of marijuana in New Jersey happened at such a unique time, um, I don't think it hit our full understanding of what could happen. And I think parents really need to be made aware and educate themselves on, you know, the warning signs and things that could happen that as we now go back to school, going into the last question, as we now go back to school full time, as these students may be additional stresses, you know, they, they're, they're, some may be used to sitting at home all day doing their class on Zoom. Now they have to go back into a school building. It's going to add so much stress to them. And now, you know, especially, you know, high school students where they're focused on, um, my goodness, can I catch up so I can make it into that college I wanted to go to? Um, there's going to be so much additional stress that with the legalization of marijuana and now it being so much more readily available to adults. And, you know, it's just like alcohol has been, you know, a problem in so many towns across the state uh, with parties. I think this is what parents need to definitely educate themselves in the months to come to see how they can help stop it before it starts. So Kathy, let me ask you to comment on this issue as well. And, you know, perhaps um, how parent perceptions might be different when it comes to student use of marijuana going forward. Uh, tell me what you think about that. Well, I also think that this is partly a generational issue um, for younger parents um, and older parents. I, I do think that, you know, talking to parents that, you know, when we're talking about middle school and below, like, you know, K through eight, I think generally that's not generational. Parents, you know, all agree, you know, obviously I can't generalize, but I think the most groups of parents feel that obviously that that's not the way you want your children. I think where we start getting you know, a little bit different views, generational views, is when the students are about 17 or 18. And I think because of, you know, um, and, and I believe so sometimes that's with alcohol also. Like obviously no, no one wants their children drinking and driving or smoking, you know, and driving. But I think that the views change a little bit then. But I do think that, you know, parents do, like Rob said, he, he hit on so many, points that are very important that, you know, parents just need to know what the law is so that, you know, they could um, let their students know what the law is and they can also, um, you know, be there for their students and, and the students and the parents all know what resources are available. So Diane, let me uh, bring you back into the conversation here. It can be confusing for our young people to hear conflicting messages regarding marijuana use. Um, any tips for how we can get through um, the message about the potential health impacts of use um, on those who are under 21 and certainly on our students who for the most part are under 18? Um, while we're getting all of these different messages that are coming out uh, across the country? Sure. I think the, the first thing is the fact that um, what we do know, and I think is what's been uh, clarifying to parents regarding alcohol use, uh, same with marijuana use, is that children's brains continue to develop till they're 25 and introducing substances during that time frame significantly affects the development of that, their, their brains in both decision-making, puts them in a much higher rate of risk associated with the substance use disorder later on. 
So where some people think, well, I, you know, I used marijuana back in the day and so forth and nothing happened to me. Two things in regards to that. One is it, it did put them at higher rates uh, for substance use disorder. Studies are showing currently that it ranges with adults from about 10% um, of people who use or try to try, just trying, not even regular use, have higher rates of addiction. Um, but for kids in particular, that rate can go up to as high as 20%. Kids who start using during their teen years um, can have a much higher rate of substance use. But I think the other component is the, the difference between marijuana in the past that they may have used and now. It is a much higher rate of THC in products. And so when you start talking about youth using higher THC-based products, as well as using it more regularly, those rates of addiction goes up multiple times. So. I think that there's both general risks associated with, even though it's a legal substance, there's general risks. Those risks significantly increase when we talk about adolescence use. And, and I think the other sort of common perception of parents is like, well, they're only using alcohol or they're only using marijuana because in the papers, you'll hear about opiate overdoses and, and, and death rates are associated with the other substances. But what we know is those that at the end of those data points of an overdose, they actually started using alcohol, marijuana. You know, what were the early drug use experiences that they had that then transitioned them into using other substances. So it really isn't a just. We don't know, you know, everybody's path to addiction is different and many people, I would say most, started with substances like alcohol and marijuana. So, you know, that lessening the rates of use, delaying the onset of use, and really providing those clear messages that parents don't just not talk about it or just sort of make light of it, but acknowledge the significant risks associated with use. Kids need to hear that. Those are great points. And certainly um, it's very important to stress the difference between the marijuana products that are available today and those that were available 20, 30, or 40 years ago and, and the significantly higher uh, THC concentrations and, and the impact that can have as well. So those are great points. So I do want to uh, thank all of our presenters today. Uh, of course, our conversation certainly is in many ways the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we do have extensive information available on the Legal One website aligned to this episode of our podcast, just like we do for every episode for those who would like uh, deeper information regarding student substance use, legal requirements, best practices, and available resources. So I encourage um, all of those who are interested to go to the Legal One website at www.njpsa.org slash Legal One NJ for additional information and to learn more about our podcast. 
And I also encourage those who are interested to go to the NJPTA website. New Jersey PTA has been a wonderful partner with us um, and provides tremendous information and resources to parents across the state on a wide range of issues. So we encourage you to go to their website as well to www.njpta.org. Uh, with that, let me thank um, all of our participants today. Uh, Kathy, let me uh, thank you uh, as the president of New Jersey PTA. You've been a wonderful partner and it's just great working with you to get this information out to parents. Thank you for having me and um, I've enjoyed this collaboration. Of course, Rob Achera, uh, thank you as well for uh, just being a great partner with us on so many of our podcasts. <laughs> Yes, thank you. They're always a great time and very educational for both us and hopefully the parents and uh, members listening. Uh, Diane Litterer, as I said, yeah, you've been a champion on these issues and just a great uh, expert. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all, to all of our participants today uh, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Be safe, be well, and we look forward to having you with us for future episodes of our podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.